And welcome to the Employment Hour, the number anytime, 1-855-821-5900. It's Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. As we always start the show, we got so much to get through. We'll get to a pile of your emails uh, today, but we want to get into the uh, the week that was first, yeah? That's right, John, and thank you, and welcome to all our listeners. Always a real pleasure to be here. Uh, we're going to talk today, as usual, about workplace rights, employment law, Anything you need to know if you're working, have a job, want a job, had a job. So uh, let's uh, let's get us started here uh, and talk about a couple of situations that uh, I've seen because our listeners today may find themselves in that situation as well. Now, John, in the past, we've we've done a topic on the show uh, called the the worst times for an employer to terminate employment. Yeah. And uh, the reason why I had that topic is because those situations actually come up in real life. And the two uh, stories I'll tell you about at the top of the show just now uh, are, are fall in that category, the worst times that an employer can, can terminate employment. The first one uh, had to do with, surprise, surprise, a lady on maternity leave. Yep, I knew it. And she, she was supposed to come back uh, from maternity leave this summer. And she received a, a phone call from her boss a couple months before she was supposed to come back saying, uh, we just to let you know, we don't have a job for you anymore. Now, the reason there was no job for her, uh, not shockingly, is because when she she went on mat leave, uh, the employer hired someone to do the job, except instead of hiring them on a temporary basis, hired hired that person on a permanent basis, and now all of a sudden there's no job for her. But to make matters worse, come now, uh, when she was supposed to go back, the employer says, well, we told you two months ago there's no job for you. We gave you two months' notice. So we don't have to pay you anything, actually. So not only is this employer terminating her when she's coming back from maternity leave, they're saying that they don't have to pay anything because they gave her advance notice. Well, that employer has screwed up big time. First of all, let's break this down. You cannot terminate someone coming back from maternity leave because you've hired someone to replace them and you like that person more. (laughs) That is illegal. That's a human rights violation. It's a violation of the Employment Standards Act. It's just a very, very bad thing to do. You don't do that under any circumstances. So that's number one. That's illegal determination itself. The second thing is you actually cannot give advance notice to someone that's on maternity leave. So the fact that you, they gave her advance notice, that doesn't count. So they have to pay her severance. She was there for six years. By my estimate, they owe her about eight months pay. Not weeks, eight months pay. In addition to that, they potentially owe human rights damages. So that employer that I've just told you about really has screwed up big time. The rule here is always, John, and I've said this before, you do not mess with an employee that's on a maternity leave. You just don't. You let them come back to work, to the same job, with the same pay, without any sort of a change. Uh, you certainly don't terminate their employment. You certainly don't try to get away with not paying severance. Very, very bad idea, and this employer is going to learn that the hard way. Uh, so that definitely falls in the category of worst times to terminate employment. And that's nothing you can hard, matter. That's nothing you can hardwire into uh, an employment agreement on the outset, is it? No, yeah. no, you, you you can't contract out of your obligations right. under the Human Rights Code. You you, you cannot avoid those. Uh, so uh, no matter what the agreement said, this whatever this employer did was absolutely illegal. What else you got? Now the second matter that I will talk about, another bad time. So we've talked also before about an employer wanting an employee to sign a new employment agreement. Well, this is what happened in this situation. An employer wanted an employee and got the employee to sign a new employment agreement and even paid them a signing bonus of $1,000 to sign an employment agreement. And surprise, surprise, that employment agreement also provided a term that allows the employer to terminate them 
with very little severance. So right. it limited the person's termination entitlements. Well, so far, I guess legal, you know, the, the employer may be not doing something that's very nice, but legal, except a week and a half later, 10 days, now that employer terminates employment and says, well, we, you had the, this new agreement signed 10 days ago, and now we can let you go and only pay you three-week severance. Right. Otherwise, John, they probably would owe the person six-month severance. So why is that a problem? Well, it's a problem because clearly this employer only entered into the agreement because they wanted to save money. They knew they were going to let this person go, and they just wanted to try to avoid paying them uh, that severance. That's bad faith. You cannot enter into an employment agreement in bad faith. So because this employer knew what they were doing, they were trying to deceive the employee and be dishonest, even though the employee signed that agreement, it's not going to be enforceable, and that employee is going to get their full severance. Potentially, there's going to be some other bad faith damages that the employer is going to have to pay. Just a very bad thing to do. If you want to try to save money in the future, you can use that employment agreement to do that. But you can't decide to fire someone and then say, well, wait a second, let me have them sign an agreement today and fire them tomorrow to avoid paying what you owe. What you, owe. you cannot do that. That's bad faith. The number is one 821 5900 at employmenthour.com. As we get down to our last couple of minutes here this segment, why don't we uh, touch on the severance pay calculator? What a wonderful tool this is. That's right. And, and you know, numbers uh, speak uh, very loudly, and literally tens of thousands of people have used it, uh, using it every single day. Uh, and the severance calculator calculates the amount of compensation you are owed if you lose your job. For those that have not heard us before, you go to severancepaycalculator.com and you input three things, your position, the length of your employment, and your age. And it's going to tell you how many months pay you are owed. It's the right amount. It's, there's no bug in the system, as, as you like to joke around mm-hmm. about, John. Uh, it's completely accurate. It's anonymous and it's free. Severancepaycalculator.com. If you ever are walking out of that termination meeting holding your severance paper in hand, the first place you should always go to is severancepaycalculator.com. We'll get to that and go through it again uh, a little later in the show. In the meantime, we'll take a quick break. Lots to get through. We will get into so what is actually included in a severance offer, how it's calculated. All that's coming up after a short break. The number in the meantime, one 821 5900 And it's Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. Lots more on the way. Stick around right here. It's on the Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. The number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and Lee or at employmenthour.com. Get some emails a little later on the show. Feel free to send one along. We'll get to it. You got questions about a severance offer or anything else under the uh, umbrella of employment or unemployment. If you're recently out of a job, we'd love to hear from you. First, we'll get to this and and uh, the under the title of so what is actually included in severance and how it's calculated. We uh, we talk often about age, length of employment, and position, but there are other factors that go into ter- uh, determining how much severance an employee should get. What are those? So absolutely. There are definitely other factors that go into assessing a a person's entitlements. The main ones, as you've just said, are the length of employment, age, and the type of job. But really, anything at all that can go to the time that it may take you to find another job is something that can be considered. For example, if you have a medical condition. So if you have a medical condition, you may take longer to find another job because you're not healthy. You may not be able to look for work as, uh, uh, as effectively as someone else. So what that means, that means you actually may be owed more severance than someone that's healthy. So oftentimes when we have an employee with a disability or other serious medical condition, they're owed more severance. Another example is the industry that you're working at. So if you're working in an industry where it's a very small industry, there's not a lot of jobs, there's not a lot of companies in that industry, well, guess what? That means that it's going to potentially be harder for you to find a job 
than it would otherwise. So because of that, you may be owed, again, more severance, more compensation. So that, that's another factor. Another factor that we've talked about before is if you're induced to leave another job. So if you're working on a secure job, an employer comes to you with a grandiose promise and convinces you to leave only to uh, then let you go maybe a year, a couple of years afterwards, then you're owed an enhanced severance package that uh, accounts for the time that you had with the previous company. So that's very important to remember that, John. Finally, uh, the state of the economy can actually be a factor. Oh, wow. Uh, so if you're working now, it's a bad economy. Because of that, maybe it's high unemployment rate. A lot of people out there looking for, for work. That suggests it may take you longer to find another job. Bad economy, less jobs, etc. So that may mean more severance. So uh, there's a number of factors that they go into it, which is why it's so important if you do lose your job to give me a call, to allow me to ask some questions and find out exactly how much you are owed in your specific situation. Very important. That number, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. You know, talk about, uh, say, an average job, say an average, you know, salaried employee, uh, or, you know, in this country maybe, would say have uh, a salary, bonus, uh, benefits, or maybe a car allowance. If they lose their job, is that stuff factored in? And if so, how do you factor it in? Yeah, very important, John. Absolutely, it's factored in. It. And, and the reason for that is when you get severance, John, the idea being that you have to be compensated as if you were working for a period of time. So while you're working, if you get your salary, you get bonus, car allowance, benefits, etc., then all those things have to be compensated uh, and and accounted for as part of severance. And a lot of times what I see is they're not. So an employer is not going to forget about salary, of course, as part of severance. But they often forget about bonus. They often forget about benefits or car allowance. And that's wrong because those have to be included. And depending on the situation, they can amount to thousands and thousands of dollars a year. So because of that, it's very, very important to remember that those have to be included. So how are they included? Well, it's simple. The, the, the idea always is put me in the same financial position as if I had continued working. So if I would have received a $500 a month uh, uh, car allowance and my severance period is for six months, then I get six times 500. If I usually get a uh, $30,000 a year bonus over six months, we can prorate that and, fi- and, and that's worth $15,000. So we, can, we always have to account for the other components of compensation. So when you're looking at your severance period, or sorry, severance offer, it's not just the period of time that the employer wants to pay you for that's relevant. It's also what's included in that. Is it salary only? If that's only thing included, that's improper. It has to include all components of compensa- uh, compensation, John. Give me a, have this for an example. Say someone's a full-time employee, but they're working for, say, a nonprofit organization. Do they still get the same amount of severance because they're still a full-time employee? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And wow. I, I get that a lot, actually. Questions about, well, I work for a non-for-profit. Because they're a non-for-profit, there must be different rules that apply in, in terms of severance. Well, that's not the case at all. Uh, any employer here in, in this country has to abide by the same obligations. Uh, so a non-for-profit or a for-profit as relates to compensation and severance have to pay the same amount. So you may be working for a Fortune 500 company or a non-for-profit. You get the same amount of severance, assuming your age, position, and length of employment are the same. So don't assume that just because you work for a non-for-profit, uh, there's other rules that apply or that you're not, not entitled to your full severance. And the tool that you can use even for, for a not-for-profit, again, the severance calculator, severancepaycalculator.com. A lot of people you know, in this day and age don't have the old, the old briefcase, you know, the old jacket over the arm off. They go to work from 9 to 5. Some people have different hours week to week, month to month. How do you calculate that severance? 
Yeah, exactly. So not everyone makes necessarily the same amount every month. Some people have compensation that varies from, from week to week, month to month, year to year. And when it comes to servants, the question is, well, what do we do? Well, it's actually not complicated. If your compensation varies often, we'll simply look at an average. Uh, depending on the length of your employment, if you've only been there for a year, then we'll look at a year average and figure out what you make in a month. And we'll use that monthly figure to calculate your severance. If you worked there for, for many years, we may look at a three-year average and figure out what you make in a month based on your three-year average. And once we know what you on average make in a month, we'll use that figure to calculate your, your uh, severance entitlements. So the fact that you may make certain, you, you may have a low base salary, but you make more money because of other components of compensation and changes from time to time doesn't mean you get less severance or that only your base salary counts. You have to get paid based on everything, and we simply grab our calculators, do an average, and get make sure that you get your full severance. It's not complicated. We'll continue that discussion under the what is actually included in your severance and how it's calculated here in just a few moments. In the meantime, the number one eight five five eight two one. 5,900 and emails Lior at employmenthour.com. This is the Employment Hour. It continues right here. Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. one 821 5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. A couple more questions under this topic. We'll get to one of your emails here shortly. And that is uh, what is actually included in severance and how it is calculated. So if an employee, uh, how about this one, used to be full-time employee, but now they're part-time, what's that severance going to be based on? Yeah, excellent uh, question, and it does happen very often. You may have been in one role in the past, now you're in a different role, maybe less hours, more hours, more money, less money, uh, and the question is, now that I've been let go, how is it calculated? Well, the, the way it's calculated is based on your most recent role. So if you used to make $100,000, but you accepted a reduction uh, earlier this year, now you make $50,000 a year, and now you lost your job, well, your entitlements are going to be calculated on the basis of the $50,000. So if you used to be full-time, now you're part-time, your entitlements are calculated based on your part-time compensation. So it's always the most recent role, uh, which is why, by the way, this ties into this concept of constructive dismissal that we've spoken about before. If your employer wants to change the terms of your employment, especially when it comes to either a demotion or a salary reduction, if you accept that and then you lose your job, now, not only did you make less money because you, uh, you were demoted or, or reduced your salary, now your severance is going to be less because it's calculated based on this new sure. role. So you have to always be mindful of that. It's always, John, the most recent role that counts when it comes to calculating entitlements. Some uh, employees you know, have a low guaranteed salary because they get commissioned. It could be a base plus commission situation. So are commissions going to be part of their severance, and how is that uh, variable factored in? Absolutely. Commissions always count. A lot of people have the majority of their pay be commissions. They may Some people may have zero salary and it's all commission. So again, we would uh, usually look at an average as well. So we would try to figure out how much this person can expect on average to make in a month based on their commission that they earn. And we use that monthly figure to calculate entitlements. Uh, and an employer may often try to pay severance based uh, on an amount that doesn't include commissions, uh, but that is absolutely wrong and commissions have to be included no matter what. one 821 5900 is the number. What happens sometimes if bonuses, and they are quite often in, in corporations, are discretionary? So does the employer still have to pay it as part of the severance? 
You know, I always uh, laugh a bit when I hear the word discretionary <laughs> as it relates to bonuses. And, and the reason for that is uh, a lot of employers say that their bonuses are discretionary or the bonuses are discretionary, but they're not. And what I mean by that is if an employee gets paid a bonus all the time, they get it every year, they, they have a, an idea how much it's going to be, when it's going to get paid. Guess what, John? It's not discretionary. It becomes an important part of compensation. It's not enough to have something... Uh, an agreement or a policy that says the bonus is discretionary. If the reality on the ground doesn't match what the agreement says, the agreement is irrelevant. Now, if sometimes you get a bonus and sometimes you don't and the employer decides and it really is discretionary, then yeah, a bonus is probably not going to be included as part of severance. But if you get a bonus regularly, even if the employer thinks or says that it's discretionary, it's not really discretionary, which means if you lost your job, you have to get paid that bonus. I actually spoke earlier this week with a, a gentleman who had a fairly low base salary, but you know his bonus was worth about 30 or 40% of, of, oh. of his uh, salary. And when he was let go, the employer let him go and, and said, no, we're not going to pay you the bonus as part of the severance because it's discretionary. But guess what, John? For five years, he always, always got the same amount of bonus. You can set your watch to it. <laughs> so that bonus is really not discretionary, and I'm working with him right now to make sure that he gets his bonus as part of his severance. What if an employee usually works a lot of overtime hours, and that can change? Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that has to be included as part of uh, severance, your overtime hours. So if you usually uh, work a certain amount of overtime and you get paid, so when we look at your T4, for example, there's, there's the amount that includes the overtime pay that you've gotten, that has to be included as part of your severance. Again, we'll look at an average. Uh, it's, I, I, love to, I love T4s because they don't lie. So I always would grab a T4 and look at the last two or three years and use an average, and that may include overtime if you get paid overtime. So because of that... No problem. We have to get you paid your, your overtime hours. I've, made, I've worked with many individuals in the past where they made thousands and thousands of dollars a year in overtime, and when they lost their job, the employer didn't want to include that. Of course. Guess what? That would be a wrongful dismissal. You absolutely have to get paid your overtime, your average overtime, uh, as part of your severance. Not that I ever have to worry about this, but how about the good old stock options? How about those? How are they dealt with? <laughs> you, you, you're not uh, an owner of, uh, of Chorus, John? I'm not a high percentage owner. I would like to have one. No, not a high percentage owner. <laughs> okay. right. I'm not Gordon uh, well, Gecko. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll talk to them for you. No worries. <laughs> yeah. So stock options can actually get uh, interesting and sometimes complicated. Oftentimes, there may be complicated uh, stock option plans that may govern the situation. The general rule with stock options is similar as it is with other forms of compensation. If there's options that are, are supposed to vest in the future, and as long as uh, that period in the future is within your severance period, so if you're entitled to nine-month severance, any options that would be vesting in that nine-month period should be allowed to vest, mm -hmm. and you can then exercise those options. So th the options should not be expiring just because you lost your job unless there's a, a plan or a policy that's very, very explicit on that point. And it's very important. If you already lost your job and you do have stock options, that could be worth a lot of money. Right. So you really have to, to give me a call and, and talk to me and help me uh, navigate you through those issues. They can be interesting and somewhat complicated, and we have to get them right because it's a lot of money often. Just before we break, I'll throw this last one at you. That's about uh, other perks you may have uh, forgotten about over your uh, term of, or uh, length of employment, rather, being, you know, uh, you maybe get an apartment allowance, uh, professional dues, even gym membership, stuff like that. Yeah, and, and oftentimes uh, people forget about that. And, you know, you have these perks, right, that you sometimes right. you get when, when you work, like I said, you know, gym membership, you know, we'll, we'll pay your membership for the engineers association or what have you. 
uh, again, if, if that's something that you get if you work, you have to get that as part of your severance. So, yes, if, if, uh, if you lost your job and you, your employer usually pays you uh, $1,000 in professional dues, guess what? That has to be included. If there's a value there for a gym membership, that has to be included. What's not included, John, is things that are directly tied to the performance of the job. For example, if your employer pays for your parking to park at the, at the office, well, that's not going to be included as part of the severance mm. because once you're let go, you don't have to come into work anymore, so you're not going to incur those parking fees. Uh, same thing if they pay you for your gas to travel to work. Again, right. you're not going to get that because now you're not traveling for work anymore, uh, so those won't be included. Pretty much everything else has to be included. We'll take a, a quick break. Get your emails as soon as we come back. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and Leor at employmenthour.com is that email address. This is the Employment Hour. It's on Talk Radio AM six forty and AM nine hundred CHML. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That is the number you want to call. And Leor at employmenthour.com. That is the email used by Sebastian here. Writes in says I've been on a disability leave. For a year, I, uh, I've just cleared to return to work. I've been cleared. Just my employer says that they don't have a job for me and that I should contact them nah, in a few months. <laughs> what can I do? Uh, well, instead of contacting them, Sebastian, you're going to contact me, okay? <laughs> Simply because uh, you know your employer may legitimately, okay, not have a job for you. I, I don't know. We can, we can talk about whether that's legitimate or not, or maybe mm-hmm. they just don't want you back. Maybe there's a human rights issue. But if they legitimately don't have a job for you, that means you've been terminated. Yes. It, it's not complicated. So if you've been terminated, you don't have to wait for a few months and hope and pray that maybe then they'll have a job for you. You're owed your severance right now. It doesn't matter that you've been on a disability. If they have not terminated your employment before, you are still an employee. And if there's no job for you, just like with any other employee that doesn't have a job, you're owed severance. Now, if they're letting you go because you're on a disability, because they, they don't want to hire someone back or to bring someone back that was on a disability, that could be a human rights issue. We need to discuss that. But certainly, you've been terminated, Sebastian. You don't have to wait a few months. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Uh, give me a call and let's talk about the severance that you're owed and how we go about getting it. And number, Sebastian, again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. We'll get into this. Uh, that is the top mistakes that individuals make that compromise compromise their legal rights. I'll just name these off and you can expand on them. Number one, <laughs> contact the Ministry of Labor for advice. Good yeah, times. John. And, and, you know, it, it really, I mean, as long as we're on air and, and we do the show, I'm always going to talk about the Ministry of Labor. Oh. Uh, and, and I'm hoping that people that are hearing us and, and, and listening to us, I'll t- we'll tell others about it. You cannot contact the Ministry of Labor for advice if you lost your job. Again, I said specifically if you lost your job. I didn't say about other things. You can contact the Ministry of Labor about overtime issues, uh, you can t- about hours of work uh, issues, vacation pay issues. Absolutely. And in fact, I've, I've referred people to the Ministry of Labor about those issues. But specifically about losing your job, you cannot contact the Ministry of Labor. There's, there's two problems with, with the Ministry of Labor. Number one, they cannot advise you with respect to your full entitlements. They cannot. They can only advise you with respect to your, of your minimum entitlements, which is only a small portion, a small fraction of your full entitlements. So you may find out that after three years, according to the Ministry of Labor, you only get three weeks severance, where in fact your full entitlements could be six months severance, eight months, maybe even 12 months severance. Right. So very important, and if you listen to the Ministry of Labor, you will compromise your entitlements because you wouldn't know what you're owed. But it gets even worse than that. So your employer didn't pay you those measly three weeks, so you'll, find a, you'll file a complaint with the Ministry of Labor. 
Except then you realize, oh, wait a second, I heard Lior on the radio, and Lior says I'm actually owed six months, so I'll talk to Lior and have him help me instead of the Ministry of Labor. Too bad, can't do it. Hmm. Once you file a complaint with the Ministry of Labor, you're stuck in that process. So at that point, you cannot withdraw your claim or complaint, and you cannot go after your full entitlements. You've actually lost tens of thousands of dollars, and those things happen every single day. So to, to, to summarize, John, cannot under any circumstances deal with the Ministry of Labor. If you lost your job, they cannot help you. They can help you with other things. Not with that. Give me a call if you lost your job. Go to the severance calculator. Call another employment lawyer if you don't like me. Just don't go to the Ministry of Labor. Talking about the top mistakes that uh, employees make in compromising their legal rights. How about this? Getting advice online from Google University. Google University. You know, Google is great. I use Google every day. Everyone, I'm sure, uses Google every day. But I don't use Google if I have a medical condition, okay? No. If, I, uh, if I'm worried about uh, my, my, my son or daughter's uh, uh, medical condition, I'm not going to go to Google and get advice there. So, and I don't think most people would. But no. why would you then go get legal advice from Google or, or from my, a message board or any other website? You can't do that. These are important things. These are things that have to be dealt with and assessed by people that know what they're doing. And I see so many people reading stuff online. And, and, you know, I've been on message boards where I see people getting advice, you know, golfing message boards and other message boards, people getting advice (laughs) if they lost their job. And, my God, the the, the advice they get is, is so nonsensical and so misleading. So don't do that. Don't follow the advice of someone when it comes to employment law other than an employment law specialist. Again, I'm not telling you to contact me if you don't like me. Fine. But you have to speak with someone that knows what they're doing. Please don't compromise your rights by getting advice from the wrong person. one 821 5900 is that number. Talking about the mistakes individuals make that compromise their legal rights, uh, sign employment agreements without really knowing what they are signing. Yeah. And, you know, an employment agreement, we, we were talking last week, John, about employment agreements. And they are such important documents. They govern what you can do at work. You know, how many hours we spend at work. We spend a lot of time at work. And they can also govern what happens with you after you leave your work. Mm -hmm. So an employment agreement is a very, very important document. And so many people don't pay attention to the things they should, such as uh, uh, non-competition language, such as termination provisions. Then they find out a year later that, oh, wait a second, I agreed to allow my employer to terminate my employment by paying me almost nothing. And I also agreed that if that happens, I can't work in the industry for two years. Holy cow. Mm. And if I had only paid attention to that when I signed my employment agreement, uh, I would have been uh, smarter. I could have negotiated. I could have done something about it. So when you get an employment agreement, yeah, it's fine to be happy and it's fine to always assume the best, but you still have to understand what you're signing. If something is unclear, if something there doesn't make sense, you have to get some advice to help decipher what that language is. Uh, Usually if an employment agreement says something, it says it for a reason. Uh, and usually the reason is to benefit the employer. So you have to understand what you're signing. Don't find out later that you gave up your legal rights. Look beyond how many weeks vacation you get. That's, you know, got to go a little deeper. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, it's so easy to get hung up on, on the numbers, right? Oh, three weeks vacation, 5% bonus, $50,000 salary. You know, those things that, that jump out at you. Right. But believe me when I say there are things that could be a lot more costly and more problematic. And you have to be mindful and watch, those, uh, watch out for those. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Anytime, that's a number you want to call. Keep it in your pocket. The number uh, anyway. That's a number. The email is Lior L I O R at employmenthour dot com. We'll get to more of our discussion about the top mistakes individuals make that compromise their legal rights, and we'll get to a couple of your emails as well. This is the Employment Hour. 
It's Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. Keep this number uh, on you at all times. Lior's number, 1-855-821-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. We're talking about the top mistakes that individuals make to compromise their legal rights. You never want to do any compromising. This one's, we love this one as well on this show, and that is assuming that they are an independent contractor. Yeah, and and those types of assumptions, like assuming you are really an independent contractor can cost you a lot. Uh, an, an employee is very different than an independent contractor, and it's not enough to call yourself an independent contractor and really to be one. So many times uh, individuals are, are treated and believe they're independent contractors where they're really, in the eyes of the law, employees. And if you're not sure if you are uh, if you should be an employee or an independent contractor, guess what? You're probably an employee. It's very clear when, you, when you're an independent contractor because you have a bunch of clients, because you don't really have regular hours, uh, you, you don't really have an employer in business for yourself. That's when you're an independent contractor. If you work for one company, you're almost always going to be an employee in the eyes of the law, almost always. And why is that important? Because, well, let's talk about termination. If that position ends, comes to an end, and you assume you're an independent contractor, well, guess what happens then, John? You're not going to pursue your entitlements. You're going to assume you're not owed anything, where in fact you could be owed a heck of a lot of compensation. So uh, remember, what you call yourself or even how you're treated is not relevant. What's relevant is the, the reality, the reality on the ground, whether in fact you're working for one company, whether they have control over you, whether you, you work under their supervision. If you do, you're an employee and, and you have to get advice uh, to make sure that you're not calling yourself something that you're not really. Top mistakes individuals make that compromise their legal rights. This one's this, this is like this is the death sentence right here, and that is signing a severance letter, signing it without knowing what they've actually signed. I got an email this week from from someone who was referred to me by a listener of our show, and said, "You got to call Leor." Except he called me, or he got that referral to me 24 hours, one day after he signed his severance letter. Okay, ah. and uh, and he said. And, and what happened in this case, he accepted six months pay, 26 pay, weeks pay, when I, I assessed him at, at 12 months pay. So I accepted half of what he's owed. He unfortunately gave up on six months pay. And, you know, we unfortunately had a very brief discussion only. I said, I'm sorry, I can't help you sign this agreement. And his last words to me is, I wish I had heard of you yesterday. Uh, so don't let that happen to you. If Once you sign a severance agreement, it's, it's too late. You, you, so many people, just like this individual, sign it simply not understanding, not knowing what they're owed. Uh, and, uh, you know, the process is this. You find out what you're owed, then you decide if you want to sign. You don't sign and then look for what you're actually owed because then it's too late. Don't have that mistake happen to you. Don't walk away and, and, and give your employer six months compensation that's owed to you or, yeah. or more. Uh, so definitely, that's probably a one of the biggest mistakes that people make, unfortunately, and it's the one mistake that under no circumstances can I get you out of for the most part. Once you sign that severance offer, I, I can't get you out of it. You're stuck with it, and all, all that's left is to hope that uh, next time you'll know better. Sandra writes in with an email, says, I've been given notice that my employment will uh, terminate in three months. Can I get severance if I quit before then? Yeah, and uh, you know I, I do get questions like that often. Uh, you know, and when an employee gets notice, advance notice, we call that working notice yep. of termination. So we're telling you that your employment is going to end in whatever a few months. Oftentimes, the person doesn't want to continue working there. It's not going to be comfortable. The person's going to, you know, want to leave sooner. The problem with that is if you do, you don't get severed. Yep. So even though the employer is terminating your employment, even though you have your termination date, 
if you leave out of, of, of your own volition before that date because you found another job, because you're uncomfortable, unfortunately, you give up on, on the severance. So, Sandra, no, if you leave before then, I can't help you and you don't get severance. Now, if you leave before then because you're mistreated in the workplace or because your employer has changed the terms of your employment, that may become a constructive dismissal. So you may be getting severance. But if you just leave because you found another job, no, Sandra, you won't get severance. So if severance is what you're after, you're better off waiting till the end, getting your severance, and then uh, going and getting another job. We're continuing our conversation on the top mistakes that individuals make that compromise their legal rights. This one as well, you know, waiting too long to do something about changes to the terms of employment. That happens a lot. Yeah. That, that, that's the epitome of, of compromising your, your legal rights. Oh. And if your employer changes your, your terms of your employment, so let's, let's go with a uh, salary reduction. So the employer says, uh, okay, uh, John, I'm going to reduce your pay by uh, 10%. And you don't know, and you, you, you start working, getting 10% less, you hum and haw, and you decide a couple months later that now you're not happy about it. You want to do something about it. The problem with that, John, is by then you de- you're, you're deemed to have accepted it. You have a very small window, usually measured in, in, in weeks, you know, two, three weeks, to do something about a change. Uh, otherwise, you're deemed to have accepted it. So if your employer reduces your pay, can you try it for a short while? Maybe, a very, very short while. If they demote you, if they relocate you, you have to do something about that quickly. And then the remedy usually would be to pursue a constructive dismissal, mm-hmm. to take the view, to take the position that because of the change that they've implemented, They've terminated employment, and you don't have to accept that. That would allow you to leave and get your full severance. But you can only do that if you act very, very quickly. And the other problem, John, of course, about accepting uh, a change and waiting too long is now you're deemed to have allowed the employer to do it again. So 10% salary, okay, you just found out that uh, you can't do anything about it because you took too long. But by taking too long, by allowing that to happen, they can do it again in the future. So if they want to reduce your pay by another 10% next year, they could do it because you let them do it the first time. So don't let that happen. If your employer wants to change the terms of your employment, you have to do something about it right away. The top mistakes individuals make that compromise their legal rights. We'll get to more of that discussion here in a moment. In the meantime, the number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. And it is Lior at employmenthour.com for email. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. one 821 5900 is the phone number. The email is Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll wrap up our last couple of points here under top mistakes that individuals make that compromise their legal rights. Another one is uh, allow employers to lay them off temporarily. Oof. Oh, yeah. And, and that's actually quite similar to the one we were talking about before, where you, know, you wait too long to deal with changes to the terms of your employment. And why is this a problem? Because as, as hopefully our regular listeners know by now, a temporary layoff is in fact a termination, which means if you've been laid off temporarily, you don't have to accept that. You can treat that as a termination and get your severance right now. A lot of people think that a, a layoff, a temporary layoff is legal, that an employer can do that. That is not the case. A temporary layoff is a termination. So what does that mean? Uh, if you don't want it to be a termination, if you decide to allow the employer to do that, well, the problem with that is now you've given them the right to do it again. Right. So if you thought, well, I'll let them do that. I'll go back to work because it's a one-off. It'll never happen again. I'll continue working. That's fine. But if it does happen again the second time, now you can't really do anything about it because you let them do it the first time. So my, my, always my recommendation with a temporary layoff is, you know, to me, that's the end of the relationship. 
unless you're 100% sure that this is a one-off, will never happen again, unless you're 100% sure of that, you, you have to do something about it. You have to you, you treat that as a termination and get your severance. You don't want to be coming back to work and realize that every six months now you're going to be laid off for three months. That, that's nonsense, right? You, you yeah. can't work and live that way. So to me, unless you're 100% sure that it's a one-off, uh, a temporary layoff should always be treated as a termination. And if that's your situation, you have to give me a call right away. We're discussing the top mistakes that individuals make that compromise their legal rights. This last one, people probably don't even think about that often. That is not staying in touch with their employer when they're on a medical leave. Yeah, and, and you know, if you're on a medical leave and you've been gone for a while, and, and I'm not talking about a few weeks, I'm talking about once it's, it's into the months or sometimes longer, it is an extremely good idea to be in touch with your employer, even if it's to say that you're still undergoing treatment, even if it's to say that you still hope to come back to work once you're cleared. You have to be in touch. You don't want the employer to ever take the position that, well, we never heard from you once you went on mad leave. No. We assume that you've resigned. Uh, you, you should always, always stay in touch with your employer. You don't have to necessarily uh, give them details about your medical condition. In fact, I, I recommend not doing that, but it's absolutely a, a good idea to let them know that you're still there, that you're still alive, that you're still wanting to go back to work, that you're still under doctor's care, uh, because that would ensure that when you're ready to come back to work, they're never going to be able to take the position that, no, no, we assume that you resigned, okay? So a very good way to, to make sure that you maintain your employment status, maintain your right to severance if uh, ever that comes to it, and uh, you, you don't uh, resign when you don't intend to. About a uh, minute left to go today. We'll uh, wrap it up with another email. Mitch gets a closing call. says, my mother's boss is relocating the business, and my mom will now have to drive an extra hour in the morning and afternoon. Does she have to do this, or are there other options? Yeah, and you know, certainly another hour a day, you know, sorry, in the morning and the afternoon, that's two hours a day, 10 hours a week is a huge difference. Yeah. That's a big change to the terms of employment. So no, Mitch, she doesn't have to, to accept that. She doesn't have to relocate with them. The other option is, she, as, as we've said before, she can treat that as a constructive dismissal. She can leave and get her severance. Uh, in fact, that may be the best option. So she would simply tell the employer she's not going to relocate. They're, consider, they're going to consider her uh, resign, mm-hmm. but we would then deal with that as a constructive dismissal, get her her full severance. I don't know how much severance because Mitch didn't say how long her, his mom worked there and her age, et cetera, but absolutely she, that's the option, and we need to deal with that right now because if we're going to deal with it you know, six months after they've already made the yeah. move, by then it will be too late. So, Mitch, uh, you or your mom should give me a call right now. Good way to wrap it up on that one, Mitch. And for everybody else, until next time, the number is 1-855-821-5900. That's for a phone call. You want to get a hold of Lior through email. That's simple as well, Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. And at your leisure, check out severancepaycalculator.com as well. This has been the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML.